If you love sipping coffee and eating pasta at any of the hundreds of outdoor cafes that dot our city, you can thank our Italian friends. Since the 1880s, Italian migrants have enriched the state with their gorgeous culture and traditions and their hard work. And they haven't had it particularly easy, though. They're often the target of racism. And during World War II, many were interned. We needed Italian migrants to boost the state's labour force, but in many instances, we didn't want them. Susanna Uliuliano is the author of Italian Lives in Western Australia, and it looks at the history of Italian migrants in our state, and she's my guest on Afternoons. It's lovely to have you here. Hi, Gillian. Thanks for having me. Now, Susanna was just telling me she's doing the midnight run with the, um, with the, the newborn baby, so, so we're going to be very gentle. Names. Please be gentle with me. <laughs> we're very sympathetic. Now, tell us about the first uh, Italian migrants. When, when they, why did they come to WA? Well, um, my migration started in the 1800s uh, in, in small numbers. So there were a few numbers of um, various um, uh, skilled migrants or artisans who came in the early 1800 period uh, to the Swan River Colony. But really, migration to Western Australia didn't start in earnest. Italian migration didn't start till the 1890s, and it was the gold rushes that brought the first Italians, like many other migrants, to Western Australia um, from the eastern states or from Italy itself. And so the first kind of cohort of, of Italian migrant miners were... Italian migrants were miners from a particular region in Italy, from Bergamo, who were miners in Italy and were attracted by the gold rushes. And so from that, it grew um, till what we have today, which is a a community of about 20,000 people. It's fabulous. And would it be fair to say, I I guess, uh, particularly at the time, the culture in Western Australia was very much dominated by English values and English ideals and people that were different weren't necessarily welcome. At the time of the turn of the century, certainly, and even if you want to take it to the 1950s and 60s, Mm. which is the heyday of Italian migration to Western Australia, I mean, that's when the majority of Italians came um, by far sort of the, the prominent period, even in that period as sort of the, the theme of the book is, Italians were certainly needed but not exactly wanted. They were at the bottom of the hierarchy of what was an acceptable migrant to come into Australia. Um, and so they were tolerated and, and used. Their labour was used in a whole range of different industries. But in terms of cultural assimilation, you know, they were expected to learn English quickly. They were expected to sort of forget their cultures and were indeed sort of made to feel ashamed if they would speak another language on the streets or express their cultural sort of preferences for food or religion in different ways. So that was very much the attitude in the 50s and 60s, yeah. It must have been an enormous culture shock for people, for Italian people coming here as well, just turning the coin. Yeah, absolutely. And this culture shock sort of manifests itself in all sorts of different ways. I mean, I think the the biggest one, I think, for many was differences in food and there were sort of good and bad differences. I mean, every migrant that you speak with, every migrant we interviewed for the book, and there were hundreds, had a story about sort of some dietary privation of, of when they first came, whether it be the... You know, the absence of olive oil or the disgusting kind of coffee, which, you know, in the Oh, gosh, I can't even imagine. Yes, it was chicory essence, apparently, that people were drinking in the 50s and 60s before, well, in the 50s anyway, before uh, people started importing and roasting beans. And Italians were certainly not the only factor responsible for that sort of culinary change, but they were a big push in in changing the sort of culinary habits of Australians. So, yeah, so there was certainly a big shock and and language, I think, the most important one, people having to deal with um, a whole new language with limited education themselves and in those days very limited assistance in terms of 
of, you know, whether it be school kids in school sort of being thrown in sink or swim with no kind of a special assistance like they have today or um, just, you know, with no classes or extra kind of help. So people were just sort of forced to speak English and that was that if they could and if they couldn't they just had to get by somehow. There was... um I guess a couple of sort of key events where we saw some of that um, uh, lack of acceptance manifest itself that you talk about in the book, um, yeah. and one of those is the the Kalgoorlie riots in Ka- in Kalgoorlie. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> I don't have a baby. No, certainly, there's lots of. I mean, certainly, so many examples, but I think probably the most um, dramatic example is the Kalgoorlie rights of 1934. There'd been earlier kind of unrest in Kalgoorlie in 1919 after World War I, um, but hadn't been quite as dramatic or quite as violent as what happened in the 1930s during well, during the Depression. And uh, it, I'm sure listeners are probably familiar with the general tone of it. If not, I'll kind of refresh you. It was it was after a particularly hot Australia Day um, where, you know, as people do on Australia Day, people were imbibing far too much at the local pubs and a, a brawl started between an Italian barman and an Australian patron. Uh, the Australian patron got knocked out and hit his head on the side of the curb and later died and word got around that an Italian barman had killed an Australian and it was all on um, and so it resulted in a riot that lasted a couple of days uh, that resulted in three deaths and a huge amount of damage to property. I mean the most, the most sort of destruction was really to property and the property of migrant owners of hotels and restaurants and pubs and so really um, – the way we characterise it, the way I've looked at it in the book is that it was sort of the simmering tension, underlying tensions of things that were happening on the mines, that people were upset the Italians were, in, you know, allegedly undercutting um, some of the Australian miners and therefore there was sort of this tension that had been simmering for quite some time, suddenly exploded in this very hot, nasty weekend and it was all on. Um, and, and the victims of it really, apart from the three that died and, and the actual person that, that that died as well in the incident, were the families whose hotels were looted and destroyed. And we were fortunate to interview actually the granddaughter of one of the um, original owners of the Main Reef Hotel in Boulder, whose hotel, who's Giuseppe Mafina, whose hotel was completely looted and destroyed and the family were forced to flee into surrounding bushland and camped out in the back of their car for the two weeks until it was safe to return. Um, and, you know, it's it's... Her take on the whole thing is that, um, sure, it was tensions towards the miners and what was happening underground that was sort of contributing to this tension that resulted in the riots, but it was also economic um, jealousy of these more established Italians who had been in the the town since the 1920s, who'd built businesses and were doing quite well and were quite successful. They, their businesses and their wealth was the target of a lot of writers' angst. And so, you know, the, the Mafina family had their sewing machine and furs taken away and looted by rioters and later they would see people with their property in the town and be like, oh, there it goes. No, no. So, and it takes so a long time for a small community right. like that to recover yeah. from that so economic, sort of thing. So certainly economic angst is at the root of that, um, you know, and the racial stuff kind of involved in all of that as well. And so. then World War Two, just after that, of course, and the internments. Yeah, World War Two again, I mean, it's a, another dramatic instance of it. But if, interestingly, Queensland and Western Australia were the two states that had the sort of large proportion of Italian 
Australians that were interned during the war. And I think it's because, you know, the two states with the largest sort of coast, undefended coastlines, people had a certain amount of angst. Um, and yeah, Western Australia, so many of the people interned in Western Australia, the Italian migrants, were businessmen or people that had, whose names were prominent and who were sort of seen as targets because they were prominent members of the community. And it was something that really deeply affected not just them and their families, um, and their families' wives and children were forced to carry on businesses without them while they were interned, but it was something that had a really lasting impact on those individuals beyond their internment. And so even after World War II, in the 1950s and 60s, many of these people were reluctant to be politically involved at all, to join organisations because they're afraid they'd get their heads sort of chopped off if they mm. were involved in any kind of Italian organisations again. Many of them had affiliation with Italian organisations that were affiliated with a fascist consul in Perth. And so that's what led to their internment. And so they just put their heads down and bunkered down after the war and were really just reluctant to talk about their experiences and really reluctant to be involved in, in the a community public way. Which, which yeah. would compound yeah. all, all of the problems. That's that... right. Yeah. And there's all sorts of stories we have of, um, for example, some uh, one of the, um, the religious feasts of St. Anthony that takes part takes place up in Wanneroo in the post-war period. It had been going on for some time um, pre-war, this this procession, but in the post-war period, I think in 1949 when they had the procession, one of the new migrants wanted to carry the Italian flag at the head of this procession, this religious procession, and the older migrants who had been interned said, no, no, put that flag away. We're not going to get interned again. They're just that sort of fear oh, sort that's of persisted just... for quite some time. So and look, a, yeah. Where where do you you look back now and see Italian migrant fitting migrants fitting in I guess with our very celebrated notion of multiculturalism now? Well, um, I mean Italians were certainly the large in Western Australia were the largest non English speaking group of migrants here, um, and the largest kind of most. Uh, if not visible, audibly different group. Um, and so to, to, to a large extent, I think they have been at the forefront of helping to change attitudes towards difference or towards people who are different. Um, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, the, on the other hand, though, I think a lot of those migrants still carry with them a lot of the experiences from those earlier days, whether it be um, whether they were the interwar migrants, people that came in the 20s or 30s, or their children, or people that came in the 50s and 60s. Many still harbour... Um, not so much resentment, but that sense of feeling like an outsider that they felt when they first came. It's very difficult to overcome that. And I think that um, that's an interesting kind of thing that's come from the book in that um, it doesn't matter how much things change over the course of 50 years with, you know, multiculturalism being much more accepted, well, becoming a, a public policy now where it's accepted that, you know, we, we, we um, encourage difference and it's okay for people to be different. If you treat people badly when they first come and you and you make them feel that they're not wanted, that stays with people. And it's a real sense that um, that many migrants still carry, I think. It's lovely to talk to you on Afternoons. The book is Italian Lives in Western Australia and it's just a, a fabulous collection of all sorts of memories and, and stories that are just such a rich part of our history. Susanna Giuliano, lovely to talk to you. Thanks, Gillian. <laughs> 